This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. So today I want to just kind of reflect on something that, that hit me. Um, how many of you heard the saying, uh, how does it go? Sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. You ever heard that saying? Some, and how many of you experienced that? How many of you had stuff happen to me like, yeah, sometimes. You, you just cannot make this stuff up. You ever heard say someone say that? I've had this happen to me, and you, you just can't make it up. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be telling you if it wasn't true. Fact is sometimes stranger than fiction. I have to just confess, you read the book, the story of Jonah, which is what we're working through, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. It's, it's a short little thing. Uh, I think it falls into that category. This is a crazy story. And this is, falls under, to my, my view, one of those things that absolutely, fact is sometimes stranger than fiction. Last week we introduced the story, chapter 1. We were told about a prophet of God named Jonah. His name means the dove, but he doesn't act like the dove or anointed of God very often. But Jonah is told by God to preach a message to the wicked people of Nineveh. And so Jonah is residing in north, uh, the northern part of Israel, near where we would you know, identify the village of Nazareth. Those of us who are familiar with Bible geography know that. He's, he's told to go preach, and he decides, no way. He doesn't want to do it. And we think, well, why? And we'll discover why in chapter 4. But bottom line is, is that Jonah disobeys God, tries to run away from God. He heads in the opposite direction on a boat. He's heading west. When Nineveh is east, he tries to hide from God. And God pursues him because we serve a God that is gracious and kind and is tenaciously compassionate and will discipline his children. That's what we talked about last week. And God sends a great wind that turns into a great storm that about sinks the boat. The sailors on the boat, seasoned veterans, are panicking. They know that this storm is different from any other storm, and they're wondering which God they have offended, and they come to discover that it's because of Jonah. And I'm summarizing here, long story short, they throw Jonah overboard to end the storm because he asked them to. They were reluctant to do that, but he does that, and he enters into the water, and he's sinking, sinking, sinking. He thinks it's his end, and God sends a fish, which the story tells us swallows him, and Jonah is in the fish for three days and three nights. Crazy. Sometimes fact is stranger than fact. I want to just say this. I want, some people, you think about the fish. An interesting observation by a man named John Orberg, a preacher. He said the word uh, that is used in the original language for God's action or God's communication to the fish is the word that would be used for a king commissioning one of his uh, members of cabinet with a task. I mean, it's usually a word that's used for uh, human beings. But God didn't commission a human being because his human being, Jonah, wasn't listening. Instead, he commissioned a fish, a great fish, the Bible says. So I'm imagining this. You know, there's this great fish. It's swimming. Who knows where it's swimming? Maybe it's just deciding to take a, a cruise of the Mediterranean. It wants to see the sights because that's what you do in the Med, right? You cruise. So he's cruising the Mediterranean. All of a sudden, God says, Oi, fish! I don't know if you said oi, but I'm thinking oi fish, right? Because that's what you do. Anyway, so he says oi fish, and the fish is like, yes, Lord. 
Fish, turn around. I want, I've got these coordinates. I'm sending, beaming down to you into your little GPS, because maybe he's a great fish. He's got to have a GPS. And, uh, and so he puts in the GPS. I want you to go to this location. I want you to wait there in the depths at this level. And I, I'm sending someone to you. He's going to be coming down, a man. I want you to swallow. Now, hear me. Swallow. No biting, no chewing. Swallow. Because I want him whole. I want him whole, and I want him to stay in you. And once you do that, then you wait on me because I'm going to give you some more coordinates for you to go to and give you more instructions from there on. Now, we're chuckling about this because, you know, it's engaging our imagination. It's kind of funny, kind of ridiculous. And, and some of you might be thinking, yeah, that's fun and games, Didi, but come on. Let's get serious now. Let's really think about this. A fish that can swallow a man... And that man survived in that fish three days and three nights? Come on. I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. Is there such a thing? Is there even a fish alive that we know of? Does, is there even evidence of, of such a fish in existence in this world? Really? Now, I want you to know, if you, that's your thoughts, I, I want you to tell, let you know that I've had similar thoughts. And I'm so grateful for a God and a faith and a community of faith that allows for such uh, thinking, allows for such perhaps wrestling, allows for such, uh, you know, kind of trying to figure this out and come to a place of peace with it. Because our God is big enough to handle our questions and our doubts and our inquiries. Our God encourages us to, to wrestle with these things because that's what faith is all about. And I'm not going to spend uh, a long time here trying to uh, give you evidence and show pictures of a fish that possibly could fulfill the role of one that was a great fish that could swallow a man and a man live in that fish for three days and three nights. I'm not going to get into that. What I'm going to say is this. The story of Jonah, as I said last week, is about God. And it's the story of the Bible that we are come to a point where we have to make a decision about God, who He is, and what He's about. And the Bible is clear in saying God is all-powerful, the creator of all things, and that He is the one that brings miracles, because ultimately that's where this conversation regarding the fish is going to land. Can God produce a miracle? Can God do something that is beyond nature, supernatural? And if you are like me and you see the whole testimony of Scripture and you come to the point where, you know what, I made a decision to be a Jesus follower and the story of Jesus is that he was on a cross, buried and came back to life three days later. If God, whom can raise a man from the dead after three days in the grave, if that's the God I believe in, then I don't think it will be a problem for him to keep a man in cold storage in a, in a fish for three days and three nights, is it? Right? See, it's a matter of faith. And the whole story of Jonah is a story about God. And if we're inclined to, to, to hear what it says and we're inclined in our hearts to believe that there is, there is a creator and this creator is communicating to us, telling us about himself and about how he wants us to respond to him as his creation, then it's important for us to be open to the fact that, you know, Jonah communicates something about him. Again, John Ortberg, preacher, points out something interesting. I never caught this before until he mentioned it. If you read through the whole story, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, what you're going to notice is that anytime God is described, his actions are, uh, are characterized, it usually is associated with something great. Great. Amazing. Powerful. Big. Great. 
right? God sends a great wind that turns into a great storm. When the sailors hear that Jonah is, the, is a prophet of God, the God of Israel, there was a what? Great fear. And of course then Jonah's tossed into the ocean, into the great storm, and he sinks, and he's swallowed by a what? Fish? Great fish. See, in the story of Jonah, what you're going to see is great, great, great. Now, the flip side of it, what you're going to find out is that Jonah and his actions are always associated with going down. Going down. Jonah receives word from God. Go and preach to Nineveh. What does he do? He goes down to Joppa. That's what it says. Then he gets on a boat and he does what? He goes down to the bottom of the boat to sleep. And then the storm comes, and it's great, and power, and he's woken up in the bottom of the boat. He's brought up to the top. He's identified as the reason why the storm is happening. He's thrown into the, world, into the water, and where does he go? Down, until he's swallowed by the fish. And the fish, fish swallows him what? Down, into its belly, into its innards. Down, 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 down. See, that's the journey of Jonah. That's the journey of Jonah. Jonah was always going down. And it reminds me of the fact that many times in my life, that's my journey as well. Down, down, down. Down, down, down. Head down, doing my own thing, going my own way. Down, 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 until I hit rock bottom. And we find Jonah rock bottom to a place in chapter 2, that then he comes to the point that he stops going down, and for the very first time, he looks up. He looks up. The trajectory of his life is no longer down, but all of a sudden, at the bottom, in the belly of that fish, he looks up. He looks up to God. And what Jonah does is what I think we all need to pay attention to regarding understanding God and regarding what God does when we are in a similar situation in our lives. When we're down on the bottom, what God calls us to do is to look up. And in looking up, we, in effect, literally, we change direction. And the Bible word of changing direction, going from down my way to going to God's way, to seeing things God's perspective and giving myself to, to God's leadership, that word is a word called repentance. And what we find in Jonah, that when he's down in the belly, he offers up a prayer. He looks up and he repents. He changes his perspective from down and he looks up to God. And so let's go through together uh, and see in the prayer of Jonah uh, really what is involved in the practice of repentance. We'll begin in verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I'm just going to stop here. I pointed this out in first service. You see the word Lord right there? You notice it's all in caps. The reason that is is because the English translators want you to be aware that this is God's name. Whenever you see a Lord with a capital L and then uh, it's, you know, lowercase, that's Lord as in title, but this is Lord in the name of God. This is the, the Hebrews, Yahweh or Jehovah in, in, in the Greek, right? This is the Lord. This is identifying specifically the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, the God of this church, the Lord. 
In my distress, I called to the Lord, Jonah said, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. There it is, down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. <laughs> when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Down, down, down. Jonah went, but God lifted him up. God lifted him up when Jonah responded in repentance. When Jonah came to the bottom and was forced to look up, God responded in grace. And, and ultimately, if you remember, the story of Jonah is a story of repentance. It's a, it's, it's a story of God. And, and what we find is that God responds to the repentance of His people. God respo responds to the repentance of His people. You know, I know that some of us understand this story of Jonah, understand what it means to go down, Understand that there are parts of our lives that we run away, our heads down, not looking up to what God has called us to do. Well, this passage of Scripture reminds us that God responds to our repentance. I have a, a statement here that I want you to, 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 to really capture. I'm going to put it down. You say, wherever you are, do you find yourself overwhelmed? Do you find yourself overwhelmed by the weight of problems, the weight of issues, the weight of guilt, the weight of things that are far beyond anything you're able to handle? Repent, look up, change directions, turn to God. Is it your own fault? I hear people say this all the time. I can't come to church, Didi, because if I come, the walls will fall in. And what they're saying is, I have to clean up my act before I get to God. Well, I'm going to tell you this. You can't clean your act up before you get to God. God is about fishing for men. And he's into catching the fish first before cleaning it up. You don't clean the fish and then catch it, right? Doesn't work that way. I wish it did. They came out all scaled and filleted. It doesn't work that way. Well, it's the same way with God. If it is your own fault, repent anyway. Have you been living the kind of life you know God wants you to live? Repent. Have you not been living the kind of life God wants you to live? Repent. Even if you repent. If you worry that you're more concerned about your own well-being than you're about God's will, repent. Repent. Why? Why repent? Because God responds kindly to the repentance of people. And Jonah shows that even if you are flat-out disobedient to God and you run in the opposite direction, if you come to the point where you are sinking, sinking down and finally come to your senses and turn back up to God, He responds in grace. He responds in kindness. He responds in salvation. He may send a great fish to bring you to the place you need to be. 
You see, when we're going down, 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 the story of Jonah says God is up to something great, great, great. Repent. You know, I know some of you have experienced this in your own journey. Perhaps you are on the boat of self-indulgence, the, the road to success, and you were traveling over the sea of alcohol and found yourself all of a sudden sinking down, down, down in an addiction that, that, that overwhelmed and was destroying your life. And you turned to God, and you took the 12 steps of repentance to a place in which you experienced His grace. And you discovered God responds to the repentance of, uh, of his people and responds to our repentance with kindness. Or perhaps you're on the, on, the, on the ship of fear, traveling over the seas of anxiety, trying to control everything, trying, trying to keep things all according to, to, to you safe and sound and protected and doing you things your way and you, by your own means, and all of a sudden you're so overwhelmed, so, so just engulfed that you're down, down, and finally you gave it up to God in repentance. You looked up and said, God, God, hear my cry. And you discovered a God who responds to repentance. Perhaps you've been traveling the ship of selfishness. Selfishness, arrogance, pride. And your ship leaves in its wake strewn bodies in your family and your work because you are a jerk and you're unkind and you don't treat people well and you're unforgiving and you are nasty and you'll step on anyone to get what you want and all of a sudden you come to the realization when you look behind you and you see the trail of bodies around you and you find yourself all alone and you go down, down, down into, into a place in which you can only turn up and you find that God responds to repentance with grace and brings about restoration by His power. See, that's the message of Jonah. When we're down, 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 and we look up in repentance, God responds kindly. God responds kindly. And what we find in this prayer of Jonah, really the ingredients of how we go about repenting, what we find in this, in this, this prayer of Jonah, we find the, the elements of repentance of what it takes to repent, of what it takes to, to cry out to God and, and receive His grace. See, the first part of it is what we see in Jonah's prayer is that we find a, a plea, a crying out. He says, I cried out to you. I, I can imagine as he's sinking down, going to the depths of the ocean, all of a sudden, Jonah's thinking, this is it. This is my end. And he's crying out to God, God, save me. Lord, help me. He acknowledges a a higher power. He acknowledges his need for help. He acknowledges the fact that he has been disobedient and running away from God, and only God can provide salvation in his predicament. Repentance always begins with a plea, a plea for help, a plea that's not conditioned with if, ands, and buts. Second aspect of, of this is that there's an acknowledgement of condition. There's an acknowledgement of situation. You see, we are masters of image maintenance, and we're good at image maintenance and help, you know, kind of setting ourselves up 
so that people will think highly of us because we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be liked. We all want to be feel like we're right and we're doing things in the way that's noble and good. We all have, want to feel this self-justification. And so we operate in life we're a little bit dealing with people this way, but the person we lie to the most many times is ourselves. The view of ourselves, we justify ourselves to ourselves. We, we think we're better than we are. We, we believe our motives are purer than, than, than they, they are. And, and, and we have this view of ourselves that in many ways is not based in reality, but it's based in this warped view of trying to make ourselves look better before God. But when we're in repentance, there's, there's no hiding and there's no game playing it's just a simple acknowledgement of where we are. There's no, what I like to call, sorry buts. You ever heard that, sorry but? Not sorry but, but sorry but, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sorry, but. This is why I was doing this. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, but we added a qualifier. I'm sorry, but even though I hurt you and even though I, okay, I'm acknowledged I did wrong, I really didn't mean to because I was trying to do right. I'm sorry, and this is a good one. I'm sorry that you feel that way. How about that one? <laughs> I was right and you're kind of dumb feeling hurt. You know, that's what we're saying. <laughs> Repentance has no sorry buts, right? Repentance has no sorry qualifications. Repentance is plain and honest. I lied, I was wrong. I've been selfish, and I am wrong. I've been hurtful, and I was wrong. I'm struggling, and I need help. I'm in a place where, although this is so hard for me, I'm in a place where I can only say this is who I am. Warts and beauty marks. The ingredients of repentance begins with a plea to God and an acknowledgement of condition. You see that with Jonah. He's like, I was sinking to the bottom of the sea. I had the sea wrapped around my head, seaweed wrapped around my head. I'm, I was down in a bad position. And finally, what you find in Jonah, and you see this in the third part of, of, of the prayer, is a pledge to change. He said, I will praise your name. I will, I will pledge myself to honor you and to glorify you. I will give myself because of the life you've given to me because of your grace. I will give myself to live by that grace that you've given to me. I will pledge to no longer run in the opposite direction, that's what he's saying, but instead be obedient and acknowledge you in my life. See, repentance has to include a pledge for change. It's not sorry so that the heat will be turned down no, it's sorry so that the heat will be transferred into what I will do for you. I will remain in a place that honors you. I will commit myself by your strength and by, your, my, by my plea and by my acknowledgement of my condition. I'll commit myself to live in, in obedience to you, knowing that, that I will need help, knowing that I will need your resources, knowing, God, that I will require your carrying me because I am weak and, and I know that in my weakness only I can survive when you're strong in my life. The ingredients of repentance. Now, in, your, in the bulletins, we provide a Bible study for you to work on during the week. You might work on it with your small group. In that Bible study, there's a story that Jesus tells, a parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, a little bit of a warning 
really for church folk regarding this thing of repentance because it's important to understand that we can put on the airs and the, the clothing of repentance, but it may not be repentance. It's Luke chapter 18, and there's a warning that goes to the heart of what repentance is all about. It's a story about a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a tax collector. Tax collectors were seen in, in the time of Jesus as, as, as traitors, as, as outcasts, as the worst of sinners. And, you know, the Pharisee comes before God, and he, his, this is his repentance. Oh, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that I'm not like that guy, that guy, and that woman. And a lot of times that's kind of our repentance process, right? God, I'm thankful for all that you've done, and I'm glad I'm not as bad as, you know, Tim Wall or, you know. Um, <laughs> sorry, Tim. I'm not going to name names. But that's how we operate, right? It's a repentance that really has no heart which is captured then by this repentance picture of the tax collector who just beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me. One of the things that's important to note is that the whale, the, I say the whale because I've watched too many shows, but the fish, what does he do? He vomits, he vomits the prophet out onto the beach. Now, I'm like, come on, why do we have to get so graphic, man? Right? What's the point of that? Couldn't you just, you know, use euphemism? He deposited it. He landed him. Right? Jonah was delivered by the vomit. Now, why do you think that that word is included? Why well, I think it was included because I think it's a reminder for us to recognize that Jonah is no noble character. And Jonah is delivered on the beach with, you know, the fish's gravy train, protein shake, whatever. And no doubt he comes out onto the field and some of you are like, oh, that's so gross. But look, I think that's the point. Jonah's delivered out onto the beach in a condition that reminds him, reminds him, of where he's been and what he's pledged. He comes out on the beach stinky, smelly, in a place in which he needs to realize that he has to live by the truth that when, when I am down, God is up to something great. And that repentance is not just a one-off thing, something that you have happened to you that, that brings you from the bottom up and all of a sudden you, then you just continue doing what you're going to do as you've always done it. No, repentance is a one-off thing, a commitment, a major life commitment, and a daily life commitment. It's something we do all the time and are called to do all the time. Orientate our lives to be a plea to God. Right? Look to be crying out to God. Acknowledge our condition. Acknowledge our struggles. Acknowledge that every day we don't get it. We're not always in line with God's will and God's word. It is a struggle but then make this commitment that I'm going to live for God on his strength, a pledge to change, a pledge to live differently. Not living by a confession that basically tries to justify how we behave because we compare ourselves with others. No, a repentance that is a pledge to change in the heart. You know, it's interesting. Um, it's pointed out to me in my studies that Jonah was a favorite of the early Christians 
You ever hear about the early Christians in Rome meeting in churches in the catacombs? You know what the catacombs were in Rome? Catacombs were basically their cemeteries. And Christians had to meet in cemeteries in order to avoid persecution. That's where you get the phrase underground church because they were literally underground. Isn't that amazing? So these Christians are meeting in the graveyards underground amongst all the dead, and they're celebrating life. And you know one, one of the common uh, pieces of art in the places they met, one of the most favorite uh, Old Testament characters that they paint, that they drew? Jonah. You wonder why. They're in the dead. They're in the dark. But I think they spoke of Jonah because they understood that Jonah captured the essence of the work of Christ. Because you remember Jesus said when the religious leaders asked him for a sign, they said, give us a sign that shows that you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, I'm not giving you any more signs. I'm not giving you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is what? The sign of Jonah, who was in the fish three days and three nights. And I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the dirt, in the grave, but he will come back out alive to, to, to proclaim God's message of life. And these Christians knew that their lives were captured in the story of Jonah, that their lives were also a matter of uh, coming from death to life and that they're, 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 they serve the God who responds to repentance because the means of life for us comes through Jesus who was in the grave three days, three nights and came back to life on the third day to give us life for us. And if we orientate our lives to a life of repentance, then we will receive life. Here's a quote that I got from Ortberg. I think it really captures it right here. It says, The message of Jonah is a foretaste of the victory of Jesus who comes to meet us, where? At our lowest place, telling us that death loses, sin loses, sorrow loses, sadness loses, and joy wins. Right? Yeah. But we got to be Repentant. It's interesting that the first words recorded by the Gospel of Matthew, the first words that Jesus preached were this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, it's interesting to know we read that and we may interpret that he's talking about moral change, character change, you know, turn away from your sins, and I think that's involved. But if you look at the context of that, there's no reference to sin at all. What he's talking about, more importantly, is not just uh, repenting from from actions and, and our behaviors that are offensive to God. No, he's actually talking to an orientation of life. Repent means to turn away from doing things with our heads down, going down, 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 and eventually to destruction, and instead look up and to see the God who has done a great work and understand that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is close. It is near. It's available because when we're down, our God is great. God responds to repentance, and repentance is not just a one-time event. It's a lifelong event commitment. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So I'm going to ask uh, two of our guys, I think Ron's here and Bob. These two gentlemen are available to speak to you in person regarding prayer need that you might have if you want to pray about something here now, if there's something that, that perhaps you want to vocalize in terms of repentance and acknowledge 
Uh, these guys will be available to pray with you. These guys are also available to you to talk to you about what's next in your, your, your walk of faith, to talk to you about your commitment, uh, talk to you about responding to the God who's calling you to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It is now the time to look up and stop looking down and to receive life and to live a life that honors Him, a life that's truly life. I know we've got a baptism schedule for the beginning of third service, so we could add you to the train. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if you would stand, we're going to close our time in prayer. And after our prayer time, we'll be uh, free to go. Hope you have a good evening, Super Bowl and all that. I don't know who to root for. I'm an old 49ers fan, so I guess I'm going to lean that direction. Go Steve, Scott, Scott Smith. Uh, yeah, I say Steve because I was thinking Steve Young. Yeah, that's your old days. All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this time we can be together. Thank you so much for this uh, message that you give to all of us in Jonah. And I pray that, Lord, you would help us to orientate our minds and our hearts towards a, a position of repentance, seeking that it's not just one thing that we do and then all of a sudden we, we, we're all hunky-dory and we're, we're free from the threat of, 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 of punishment of hell, but instead understand that it's a lifelong commitment to live our lives as a plea, to be brutally honest with our struggles and to commit that our day today to a pledge to change and transformation that can only provide, be provided by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.